You are listening to America's Home for Stadium News and Information. Stadium's USA Radio. Once again, with your ticket to the action, here's Bill Hazen. This week, we look at the stadium that made Major League Sports possible in Milwaukee. County Stadium, home for the Braves and Brewers. Guys named Aaron, Matthews, Yount, and Molitor. Broadcasters Merle Harmon and Bob Euchre. It was even the home field for the Cleveland Indians in the movie Major League. We'll meet writer and researcher Gregory Wolf, who will explain why County Stadium was the first field of dreams. College football single-game attendance records will fall this weekend when Tennessee meets Virginia Tech in the 160,000-seat Bristol Motor Speedway. Beyond the Flag reporter Christopher Olmsted has seen the setup and will tell us how well this will work. And Stadiums USA's Mark Madoran kicks off the NFL season with an overview of new and renovated stadiums and an unbeatable deal on sod from Wrigley Field. But first, the stadiums beat with Jeff Schmidt. Jeff? Well, Bill, you touched on it. Virginia Tech and Tennessee chase college football's all-time attendance record today when the two teams square off at Bristol Motor Speedway. More than 160,000 fans are expected to watch the game being played on the raceway midfield. Little known fact, this is not the first time this famous raceway has hosted football. Back in 1961, the Eagles and Redskins hooked up in a preseason contest at Bristol. Other news, Patriots quarterback Tom Brady begins his four-game Deflategate suspension this week, but the All-Pros presence will certainly be felt at Gillette Stadium. The team is unveiling a massive banner of Brady on the Gillette Stadium Lighthouse. Asked for comment about the new Brady poster, Pats coach Bill Belichick said, decorations and marketing isn't really on his radar. The new stadium of the Atlanta Falcons will soon be the home to the NFL's first ever lead platinum sports stadium. What does that mean? Well, the venue will be powered by solar energy and capture rainwater for reuse and energy savings. The venue is expected to save more than 40% in energy usage as compared to a typical stadium design. The new Falcons nest opens in 2017. And if you are a frequent player of 2K Sports NBA 2K games, you know it's one of the most authentic on the video market. Well, there's a reason for that. 2K Sports traveled 16,000 miles across the country visiting every NBA arena. The gamers recorded fans, arena themes, and even the sound of buzzers at the pro basketball venues. You can check out all of the authentic NBA arenas yourself as the NBA 2K17 hits the market in the coming days. Bill, that is the very latest. Okay, Jeff, thank you. The ghosts of Hank Aaron, Warren Spahn, Eddie Matthews, that's from the older days. And then more recently, uh, great players like Paul Molitor, Robin Yount, managers like Del Crandall. I remember Del very well. All of those people are associated with one of my favorite baseball parks and one I know pretty well, Milwaukee's County. 
County Stadium, which is no more, but we're going to talk about it. And, of course, that is the stadium that made Major League Baseball possible where it would stick. They had tried it before, and it didn't stick, but County Stadium was the difference. We're going to visit with Gregory Wolf, who is a member of Sabre, college professor and uh, is also the editor of a new book that examines the history of County Stadium. This is a collaborative effort. I'll tell you what, uh, Gregory, when you dug into this one, you got a plum assignment. This is a fun one. Have you had fun with it? Well, first off, Bill, thank you for the invitation. It's a great pleasure to have the opportunity to speak with you. Uh, It was an exciting endeavor. Of course, it's very exciting to talk about. I think in many reasons, uh, why would I have chosen that book? Well, um, Sabre over the past seven or eight years has uh, explored various great teams in baseball history. And recently, uh, we have focused on uh, stadiums. And I thought, why couldn't we focus on one of the great stadiums, one of the most pivotal stadiums, I would argue, in baseball history, and explore uh, the history of County Stadium through approximately 70 uh, important games that took place there. So that's a little bit about the background of the book. County Stadium did not get a lot of pub. And the reason, of course, is it was in a smaller market, and it was 90 miles from Chicago, which is kind of a magnet in the Midwest uh, for the spotlight, I guess you would say. But it was a great stadium. I remember the field was always very well kept. They really took great care of it, I thought. They did, and I, uh, you're you're a better and 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 more authoritative expert than I am. <laughs> uh, I have to say that, but I think uh, the importance when I look at the importance historically of of County Stadium, there's a lot of reasons why that stadium uh, is so important. Well, maybe number one, we would sh- should say that it was the first taxpayer-funded stadium in America. Uh, The construction began on County Stadium in 1950 after a bond was passed. And this is very, this is very important. It was one of the first major stadium uh, construction undertakings uh, in about four decades in, in the U.S. and signified and signaled a lot of demographic shifts going on in America. And so, number one, if we think of, of today and all the controversies about who needs to pay for stadiums in the U.S., when we think of the first steel and concrete stadiums, Forbes Field, um, Navinfield, Briggs Stadium, Tiger Stadium, mm-hmm. uh, those were all financed by the families who own those teams. County Stadium, another important thing, it was the first stadium built in the U.S. that was an attempt to attract a Major League Baseball team. That's a very modern notion. So mm-hmm. it was built beginning in 1950 with the idea we will attract a Major League Baseball team. And it was built as a baseball stadium, unlike other capital projects that were taking place in the 1940s, right after World War II, uh, most of which were uh, multi-use sports stadiums. This was conceived as a baseball stadium to lure a major league team to Milwaukee and expressly paid for by taxpayers. Gregory Wolf is our guest, and he is the editor of a wonderful new book examining the history of County Stadium. We're going to come back and talk further about it, so stay tuned as we continue here on SB Nation Radio. We 
are exploring Milwaukee's County Stadium with Gregory Wolf, the editor of a new book, From the Braves to the Brewers, Great Games and Exciting History at Milwaukee's County Stadium. And what a great place, Gregory. The sight lines being great. They increase the capacity over time, of course, with NFL football being played there. And by the time the Packers arrive, that place could seat almost 57,000, right? Yes, it could. As a matter of fact, that was one of the great architectural developments uh, of that stadium. When it was built, the United States was going through big demographic shifts. It was built already with the idea that the baseball fans would be mobile with automobiles. The interstate system was going on, uh, and there were uh, parking spaces all around. The stadium originally had uh, an idea of about 25,000 because when construction began, uh, there was not yet a Major League Baseball tenant. But it was built in such a way, you can remember how they could tack on another level and another level. So it was built in such a way that expansion would be very, very simple. You mentioned the Green Bay Packers. Well, the Green Bay Packers played one to two games per uh, per season there for a very long time, uh, for well over three decades. In fact, in this new book published by Sabre, there is a chapter on, believe it or not, the Green Bay Packers in County Stadium. Most of the book concentrates on on baseball, all of it Mm -hmm. except the chapter on on the Green Bay Packers. You know, the successor ballpark to County Stadium is Miller Park, and the area where County Stadium sat is partly a parking lot and partly a small ballpark now, and part of the areas that were the original park have been maintained. And did they get the new ballpark uh, right in your assessment, Gregory? Oh, well, that ballpark, I have to say, uh, Miller Park, is one of the most beautiful parks I've ever been in. I have to say, I I simply enjoy going up there every opportunity I have. In fact, I was there on Monday, on Labor Day, to see the Cubs play. And that stadium, with its retractable roof, some people call it like a fan-shaped retractable roof, is, for me, simply an architectural marvel. I, I There is not a bad seat in the house. No matter where you are, you feel very close uh, to the action. And, of course, it opened up one year late uh, in 2000 because of the tragic accident uh, in the summer of 1999 when there was a crane uh, accident, which unfortunately killed, I believe, three construction workers, and that delayed the opening uh, for one year, was originally planned to open uh, for the 2000 season. You know, you mentioned something that I remember from my days in Milwaukee, and at that time, the Brewers were in the American League, and whenever they played the White Sox, it was a guaranteed 10,000 extra fans, always, because fans would come up the highway. The two cities are only 90 miles away. Has that effect Uh, increased with the new ballpark and certainly with the recent success of the Chicago Cubs. What is it like up there? Well, I can tell you on Monday that if I say that it looked as if 50% of the fans Mm. were Cubs fans uh, playing uh, on a Cubs-Brewers game, I think that would probably be an accurate guess. But you mentioned the White Sox. If I could just say something about history and contextualize the White Sox uh, when they played there in the American League. As you know, 
there was uh, the the Milwaukee Braves moved. Their final season was in 1965 after a one year, uh, more than a one year protracted legal battle. Their last season was a lame duck season in Milwaukee before they moved to uh, Atlanta for the 1966 season. There was an organization called the Milwaukee Brewers Baseball Club. Bud Selig was the chair of this club. The goal was to bring Major League Baseball back to Milwaukee uh, with the loss of the Milwaukee Braves. Selig was a minority owner in the Braves. And in 1967, there was an exhibition game in Milwaukee Stadium. That was um, an exhibition game between the Chicago White Sox and the Minnesota Twins. Mm -hmm. Now, Bud Selig and the Milwaukee Brewers Baseball Club, this was an organization, they had persuaded Arthur Allen, the then owner, uh, majority owner of the Chicago White Sox, to play nine night games in County Stadium in 1968, one against all nine uh, American League baseball teams. And in 1968... The Chicago White Sox drew about 24,000 fans on average to the games played in Milwaukee Hmm. compared to about 7,000 at home. And then the next year, the White Sox played 11 games, one game against each of the the teams, the expansion teams included that year, Mm -hmm. and they drew about 18,000. So interestingly enough, there was a lot of debate. Would the Chicago White Sox move to Milwaukee in 1969, Arthur Allen transferred ownership to his younger son, John, in 1968. Arthur Allen moved out. Uh, he he gave more controlling interest to his brother, uh, but also Major League Baseball and the American League owners were adamantly opposed to losing the American League market of Chicago. Yeah. That's one of the fine stories of, of baseball and, and how the White Sox almost became the Milwaukee White Sox. Well, Gregory, congratulations on this. This is a gem. The folks at Sabre, they do so much good, and this is a great example of it. And uh, for you to go ahead and and bring all of this together and edit it as you have, it's wonderful. We want to wish you all the best. Continued success. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak, and I want to thank all of the contributors to this book. Uh, Without the volunteers... And contributors of Sabre, books like this, uh, they would not exist. Sabre does a lot of good, a lot of good to preserve baseball history. And once again, I really appreciate the invitation to speak to you. Uh, It's a pleasure. Gregory Wolf, our guest, his new book, From the Braves to the Brewers, Great Games and Exciting History at Milwaukee's County Stadium. Mark Madoran is standing by. We'll dive into this week's Talking Shop items. That is next on SB Nation Radio. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out fanessentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit fanessentials.net and use promo code STADIUM and check out for 30% off your first month. Visit fanessentials.net to get all of the essentials you need. 
Let's get out of time to talk shop once again. Mark Madoran, president and creator of the Stadiums USA website, steps to the plate. We remind you, Stadiums USA is the nation's preeminent source for stadium information. Where do you go to check it out? StadiumsUSA.com. You can listen to podcasts of Stadiums USA Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network and subscribe to it on iTunes and, of course, listen to us each week on SB Nation Radio. Well, Mark, the NFL gets center stage, obviously, the season getting underway, and we have new stadiums, stadium renovations, a bucket load of these, the principal one, of course, being U.S. Bank Stadium. That's going to get the big spotlight, but that's not all, Mark. There are a bunch of them. Take us through it. Well, the new season's always exciting time. And uh, with the changes on the field, every team's made roster changes and moves to improve. There's a lot of improvements now in the venue. So let's start at U.S. Bank. Mm -hmm. The Vikings have built an amazing facility in Minneapolis. It's an indoor dome stadium, but because of the see-through roof, it is bright and open. It's great. The non-retractable roof is made of a space-age plastic called ETFE. The Vikings said clear is the new retractable. It's a $1.13 billion facility, has some unique features. It has the largest hinge doors in the world, 75 to 90 feet tall. Hmm. There's a fantasy football lounge. The seats are very close to the field, the closest in the league. The facility hosts the Super Bowl for 2018, so that's a great new one. Hard Rock, all redone in Miami. The Dolphins proudly open the season with the renovated stadium. Uh, there's a $500 million rehab project that this has been a part of. Um, it made the 30-year-old facility look and feel completely new. The fans will not recognize it. It's a different configuration. Hmm. Um, the total shock when they walk in is going to be the big canopy. Instead of an open stadium, it's now a giant cantilevered roof uh, above the seats. That covering will make a huge difference for fans that used to be baked in the South Florida sunshine. All new seating was part of it, and four new HD video boards, four of them. Incredibly impressive. Right. Raymond James Stadium, another Florida venue, got a facelift. Uh, the Buccaneers saw Raymond James Stadium take on new life with the two new HD video boards. They have one video board at each end that's gigantic, and then there are four corner video boards as well. The pirate ship's still there, by the way. It still <laughs> sails in the north end zone. <laughs> M&T Bank Stadium. The Ravens made a major change in their playing surface. They used to play on artificial carpet. Now they've gone to natural grass. When the stadium opened back in 98, they played on natural grass for about five years, but they found that it wasn't growing very well. They had some issues with uh, spots that weren't getting enough sun. Mm -hmm. They're now putting natural grass in, and they've committed to putting artificial light over those areas that don't get enough sunshine. And they've also changed their end zone markings. So when you see them on TV, you say, oh, that looks totally different. Hmm. NRG Stadium in Texas. We've talked about the Houston, Texas surface for many years. Remember how bad it was? And the players are complaining that the, the squares they brought in with the sod weren't matching up. And there mm -hmm. were big, big seams and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. That's all gone. Um, the Texans have put in a new surface. It's called UBU Sports Speed Series S5M, synthetic playing surface. They are the third NFL team to go to this surface. The other two are New Orleans and Minnesota. 
there have been complaints about that grass for many years, and this is going to totally change that. And, of course, they upgraded their stadium Wi-Fi at the same time. What a group of changes right there. Mark, Chicago Cubs fans have a chance to take home a piece of the action, a piece of the 2016 (laughs) season, quite literally, but it does involve a little yard work. What in the world is going on here? Well, the Chicago Cubs are doing some landscaping work uh, to their property, which includes a new lawn, new front lawn, (laughs) and the fans have been invited to come pick up the old pieces of sod if they're interested. Uh, They have to go to the ballpark park and bring their own bags or buckets or wheelbarrows or whatever they got. Uh, First come, first serve, but take as much sod as you like. They'll have a whole new surface uh, come October for the playoffs. Are are they uh, charging for that? As far as I know, it's all free. So uh, you looking to resod, Bill? I'll take care of you. Mark, each week we take a look back on some of the significant dates in stadium history. What do you have this week? Well, Bill, this week in 1960, Nickerson Field on the campus of Boston University is the site of the first ever American Football League game between the Denver Broncos and the Boston Patriots. Mm. 21,597 attended the contest. Gate receipts from the $5 tickets were carried to the bank in a shoebox. The game was played on a Friday night so as not to compete with the Harvard-Boston College contest on Saturday and the NFL games on Sunday. So can you think of the Patriots' game receipts being carried to the bank Uh, in a shoebox now? (laughs) Not exactly, but there was a time when they did that. Nickerson Field. You need to um, uh, know that there's some history to Nickerson Field. Uh, Can you guess what that is? No, as a matter of fact, I don't know what it is. Well, Nickerson Field on the campus of Boston University used to be the home of a Major League Baseball team. The Boston Braves played at Braves Stadium, which is where this is at. When they left Boston in 1953, they sold the property to Boston University, and they created Dickerson Field out of it. Uh, There's a very famous Major League Baseball who played the last few months of his career in a Boston Braves uniform at that very site. That would be Babe Ruth. Oh, wow. Wow. Played the 1930 parts of the 1935 season right there at Nickerson Field, which was then uh, the home of the Braves. This week in 1977, the Cleveland Indians promote a Hate the Yankees Hanky Night at Municipal Stadium. 28,000 show up, and I'm sure they could have had a lot more if they'd have wanted. Uh, Wave the white hankies and the try break an 18-game losing streak to the New Yorkers. It was a promotion the Indians would repeat for a number of years. And that's just a couple items from this date in stadium history. Oh, very good, Mark. Very good. Now, Bill, one other thing Mm -hmm. before we move on. I've got this week's stadium quiz question for you, and it's a really good one to mark the, the beginning of the NFL season. Oh, this is good. Which of these is the oldest NFL stadium? The Superdome in New Orleans, Qualcomm Stadium in San Diego, Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, or New Era Stadium in Buffalo, formerly the Ralph Ralph Wilson Stadium in Buffalo. You know what? It shouldn't be this, but I'm almost certain it's Qualcomm Stadium in San Diego. That's been around a long time. It has, and you are correct. Qualcomm <laughs> is the oldest stadium in the NFL. And and any San Diego person would know that. I'll guarantee you that. Anyone that's been there will tell you it's really an old stadium. Oh, but, boy. Uh, yeah, I've done a few. They're hoping to get a new one, and we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen with the election, because that's how it's going to be determined. Yeah, indeed. I've done a few games out of there. That was a long time ago. 
and the stadium was old then. So uh, there you have it. Well, good, Mark. We will go ahead and see you next week. Have fun this week at uh, Coors Field in Denver. <laughs> Thank you, and drive safely on your way home, will you? Thank you. <laughs> Coming up 20 years in the making, Bristol Motor Speedway transforms into a college football venue. Christopher Olmsted from Beyond the Flag checks in with the story right here on SB Nation Radio. When Tennessee meets Virginia Tech, look for a full house, and brother, I do mean full. This game is called the Battle of Bristol because it will be played in a speedway, the Bristol Motor Speedway, a unique venue. We're going to talk about it. They're expecting 160,000 fans for this which would mean it will be the largest football game in terms of attendance ever played. Christopher Olmsted joins us to talk about it. He actually covers this speedway along with others with the Beyond the Flag, part of the fan-sided network. And uh, Christopher, it's great to have you via digital audio. This is going to be a lot of fun. Do you have a pretty good image in your mind of how this is going to look? Yeah, when I was down there in April, uh, they put together, I was down there with the uh, Pilot Flying J people who are sponsoring the football game, and they put together a lot of kind of thought artwork of what they think the final product's going to look like. And just looking at those pictures, it, it was absolutely breathtaking. So I can't wait to see what the actual project looks like on TV. It seems to me that this is a very unique situation in automobile racing. You couldn't do this at the Indianapolis 500. It's simply too big. But Bristol is a very small track, and it has large stands wrapped all around it. It seems to me that that means it's the perfect venue. Absolutely. They call it the last Coliseum for a reason. And, and it really is. If you just stand in the middle of Bristol and just look around you, you feel like you're in a Coliseum. And it's the only track on the NASCAR circuit that you could even think about putting on something inside the track this large scale. That's not a race. This is not a new idea to run this race. They've been batting this thing around for two decades now. Why did it take so long to get from the initial idea to the point where now the game is going to be played? You're right. This was something that was initially thought about back in 1996 when um, Burton Smith Speedway Motorsports Incorporated bought Bristol Motor Speedway. And the first year of owning the track, Mr. Smith threw out the idea of, you know, we, we should do something in the infield. We could have a football game here or something besides just racing. And, you know, at, at first, I'm sure that the people, you know, that he was throwing this idea out to are probably like, oh, yeah, OK, we're going to have a football game here kind of thing. But um, it was something that he really stuck with. He really wanted it to happen. And it's taken 20 years to get to where we are today, but it's finally coming to fruition. And the the biggest challenge and the, the main reason that this football game is happening is because of Colossus. And Colossus came after they removed the large scoring pylon 
from the middle of the infield. And having that pylon there was really preventing Bristol from doing anything like this. And now that that pylon is gone and Colossus is there, it really is going to open the door for so many different things besides racing at Bristol Motor Speedway. It is interesting because probably in a normal racing venue, the scoring pylon would be located roughly somewhere down the main stretch near the first turn. But because this is so small, the actual racing surface is so small, they made a decision years ago to put it right in the middle where everybody could see it. Absolutely. When, when you look at the football field on game day, the pylon would approximately be around the 40-yard line, pretty much smack in the middle of the field. So if that scoring pylon was still there, there's no way this game could have happened. As your best guess, how good will the viewing actually be for this large of a crowd? I was down there in April, and I got I didn't get to be in the grandstands, but I was in a couple of the different boxes, and I was down on the track kind of where they're going to put the bleachers. And I honestly can tell you that all the spots I was in, there isn't a bad seat in the house. It's one of those things where, yes, you, you could be really up high, but because Bristol is so confined and it's everyone's kind of right there on top of the action during a race day, you're going to be able to see everything. Are binoculars in order? For some seats, you might need binoculars. It, if you want to know, you know, does number eight have the ball? Does number 32 have the ball? That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But just from a general flow of the action, I think you're going to be pretty good regardless of where you are. Is there some early talk that something like this could be extended year to year? Year to year, they were the owners were hesitant to say year to year just because of everything that has gone in to making this game become a reality. They were more, when I spoke to them in April, they were more on track with maybe every two to three years seeing something like this, but they weren't really feeling year to year. Well, if you can seat 160000 for a game, plus skyboxes and everything else, the financial package that they have to be able to offer two college football teams, which seem to me is off the scale. They should be able to do something. You would think, and at them being privately owned, their financials are not public information. Because mm -hmm. that's one of the things I was curious about when I was down there. You know, what is this game going to bring in financially compared to a NASCAR event? Because Bristol's two NASCAR events every season, that's where the majority of their money comes from. Mm -hmm. But those two NASCAR events pretty much make their fiscal year. So the fact that they're adding this football game to it with all the press it's receiving, the fact they're going to put 160,000 people inside of that speedway, you would have to imagine that the monetary impact is going to be astronomical in a positive way. Christopher, we thank you very much uh, for uh, taking us inside the stadium and giving us a good view of what this is going to be like. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It is a pleasure. Christopher involved with the blog Beyond the Flag, part of the Fan Sided Network. That's our program for this week. Join us again next week for Stadiums USA on Blog Talk Radio.